Around this time last year, our men's Premier League program were looking to appoint a new head coach. We prepared a short list of candidates, and after some discussions, were delighted to secure our number one candidate, a person whom we believed was the best available coach for our group in Victorian hockey. A strong start to the pre-season ensued, as you'll hear with a terrific off-site camp and some very encouraging passages in our training and practice batches. Then, COVID arrived. Welcome to the Camberwell Hockey Podcast. The one-two punch of the double lockout ultimately cancelled the season without a match being played. To everyone's frustration, our group were unable to demonstrate their progress on the field and our supporters and members didn't really have a chance to meet our new coach. In this episode, Jimmy Webster returns to remedy that and introduce Camberwell men's Premier League coach, Lachlan Anderson. Here's Jimmy. Alrighty, thank you to all uh, tuning in for another edition of this Camberwell Hockey Club uh, podcast. We're uh, joined by men's Premier League coach uh, Lockie Anderson today. And uh, thank you for joining us. Thanks, Webby. Looking forward to it. Just to give a bit of an overview of what we'll we'll touch on today. So we're going to uh, discuss the year that's been uh, a bit of a depleted year in 2020 in regards to hockey. We'll touch on this year, then we'll go into a bit of uh, Ando's playing career, and then we'll um, we'll finish off with uh, some of Ando's coaching um, accolades. So, mate, this this year um, obviously has been a a pretty shocking year for a lot of people. And when when we reflect back on it, we had a great a great preseason um, at the club, uh, and then we were cut cut short. And then we came back again, and then we were told that the season wasn't going to go ahead. I know that you personally obviously work uh, at Hockey Victoria, and you're, you're pretty much your, your day-to-day and your, your life is um, revolves around hockey. So without having hockey, what have you been up to this year and what have you been doing in the, in the background to keep yourself busy? Uh, lots of little jobs around the house, mate. No excuses anymore to, uh, to put off the little things that uh, ha- haven't been done over the journey. Um, probably probably bitten off a of- bit more than I can chew at times but anyway that's been a good good learning curve um yeah it was a pretty tough pretty tough couple of days actually because by the time the hockey season got cancelled all of the national championships all of the things that we sort of worked towards our big projects you know national championships hockey won all of our academy programs club season basically you know that consumes the best part of sort of five to six days a week of my of my role um, as a club coach and as the high performance manager at Hockey Victoria just disappeared. Um, I mean, like it was, I'm used to being really busy um, and there was a period of time there for a, for a short time that um, I wasn't, um, you know, I wrote you guys a, a pretty frank and open and honest sort of letter about how that, that made me feel for a period of time. Like it was really, really hard and having so much structure in my day to day that wasn't there. Um, so once I got that fixed and, you know, got back into some exercise and, you know, re-engaged with all the stuff with the family, I mean, that part of it's been just, you know, invaluable. Like my daughter is, you know, 15 months old and for for half of her life, essentially, I've been at home, Yeah, which has been really good. She wakes up in the afternoon, I go pick her up out of the cot and happy days, um, you know, sort of it's impossible not to be to be smiling and happy with all that and Having the young fellow who's just about to turn six homeschool um, wasn't as pleasurable, but uh, <laughs> all done now. He's back to school, and I, I know that um, I know that we spoke 
a while ago and you hadn't done any running for a good period of time and then during this lockdown you started running again and clocking up some some good k's as well and when we had the Canberra hockey club um uh, you know, number of hours that you're putting putting into the Strava yep. Strava camp. You you were always featuring in that that top little bit for a while there. So, how is the body, and are you, are you still uh, getting some K's into the legs? Yeah, well, I mean, it's a um, I reckon even in the last couple of years when I was playing, like which was sort of very part time with Essendon, like I was still coaching at Footscray Women's Group and playing six or seven games a year. Um, you know, training for 50 minutes a week on a Thursday night and then going from there to the other venue and um, not ideal at all, but sort of trying to keep everybody happy, um, trying to keep, you know, the group that I've been a part of for so long at Essendon uh, happy and, you know, have some sort of ongoing um, transition there and then obviously still trying to move across into, into coaching. I don't think I would actually run consistently for, you know, the best part of four or five years now. Um yeah, a bit of, a bit of running here and there, but nothing like obviously as you mentioned, where it was you know well structured and doing sort of five or so sessions a week, and um, as you said, getting the kilometres up, getting out there it was really good. Listening to this Campbell Hockey podcast has actually been a, a good part of that. Like I mean, it was some of those some of those little jogs, getting out there and listening to to Wanzie, um interview people to yourself. You know, the one with KA I really liked. Um, yeah, it was really good. So, yeah, there's been some really good ones. The, the pretty candid one with Batchy and um, and Potsy was really good too. So, yeah, that's I've listened to more podcasts in the last three months than I reckon I've ever listened to in my life. Yeah, nice. And um, I guess probably around this time last year when the initial discussions started to occur and, uh, you know, you, you were made aware that um, there was a potential opportunity for you to come across and, and coach the um, the men's Premier League at Camberwell. Uh, I mean, what what firstly attracted you, and why did you take up the opportunity to to come across and, and coach this group? Uh, it's a really good question. I mean, I had a I had a really talented group of young women at Footscray um, who, when I started, were sort of you know between sixth and eighth on the ladder. Um, you know, had been reasonably sort of you know hard workers and so forth and I took on a group that needed a lot of remedial work like they needed to we had to basically drill a lot of stuff back down to a real basic level and then build it from there um and that you know as a hockey coach coming in and as a young hockey coach at that particular point um I didn't think that it would take as long as it did for us to actually get to the level of success that I was reasonably confident we could um, yeah, internally in conversations with my wife and so forth, like I was reasonably confident we'd be able to do what we did in five years in two. Um, but it just took a bit longer. Um, you know, grappling with a group of girls who went from being, you know, young teenagers to young women. Um, yeah, there was a lot of different challenges with that. Um, yeah, but it was it was a really positive experience. But then obviously when I got the contact from Campbell, um, it was more about having a look at a group of guys that most of that cohort I'd actually had something to do with, whether it be at an under 18, under 21, or a hockey one level as a player or coach. You know, you and I played together way back, and then you know, you're a young little whippersnapper at the time. And then, um, you know, whereas, you know, like, um, I coached the under 15 boys team two years ago, and in that team, I coached. Um, you know, Liam Henderson, Gus Hendry and so forth as well. So like, you know, completely bookending 
um, that group. So it was re- it was really encouraging because I sort of know a lot about the players. I see the way that the group goes about its business. I like the professionalism of the of the club and the cohort of athletes. Um, I think a lot of what I offer as a coach lends really well to the group. Um, so yeah, from that point of view, it was a pretty good opportunity. And um, as you said, I was still employed at that particular point um, when those conversations started. But I was. And I have been all the way along, been very open and honest about you know being a coach, and you know if, if I'm entertaining something else, I'll communicate that with the group that I'm currently with. And I think our relationship with with Footscray certainly continued to to stay strong, even though that as a result, you know, I ended up moving on. Yeah, and I guess from I mean, as long as I've been playing uh, at Camberwell, I've I've never had a uh, a coach that's come from outside of the club traditionally. Now. Ka yes, but Ka was involved uh, as an assistant coach for two years before she took on the the head role. So it kind of leads into into my next question that you know I think that that preseason camp that we had um, was a great camp because it really kind of gave you an insight into uh, the players and you know we we all opened up um, uh, to each other and you know there were. There were tears uh, in one of the sessions that we had, which really showed a bit of vulnerability from from a, a few people. But it really gave you a great insight to some of the personalities in the group, um, but also gave, I think, the playing group a great insight into you as a person uh, and what you were going to bring um, to the year uh, that we were, we were meant, meant to have and, and obviously moving yeah, yeah. forward. But I uh, you know, you can always look at the negatives that have come from the year. Um, but from my point of view, there's a lot of positives that come come from the year as well. And I'd be interested to know from your point of view, the positives from that preseason, but also, you know, getting a, at least, you know, three, two to three months of training under our belt as well um, in the start to the year. Yeah, I mean, that was a, it was really good. I mean, I really enjoyed that lead up, lead up to the camp. So the the training block that we did prior to going to camp, the actual camp itself, um, in terms of obviously Richie Callahan hopped on and, and helped do the physical component of that camp, and then obviously sort of helped us facilitate some of the other um, off off pit, off pitch or sort of you know off conditioning stuff, and um, obviously the hero hardship highlight component that you referenced before was was really valuable. Um, yeah, big on. I'm an emotional person, and you know, I get wound up with stuff. I'm, um, I, you know, I'm happy to admit that. You know, there are things that things that can make me sad, make me sad, and things like that. So, um, from from that point of view, it was really good to see a group of young men, um, be honest. I mean, I don't think it's something that, um, collectively as a cohort that we do well. Um, you know, as a, it, it's sort of like a, a point of weakness to show any form of emotion as an Australian culture. Um, and I think that's something that when we go into sport um, and not trying, trying to tie too much of it towards, you know, too serious a, 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 an issue, but like when we get to conflict or battle or anything like that, like you need to be able to rely on your teammates. And um, that's one of the things that I think, you know, from my point of view is that open, honest, frank conversations that need to happen. Um, you know, they'll continue to happen. And that, from that point of view, I think at least we all understand where they're coming from as well. So, you know, when a, when a young player is off or upset, I mean, you and I have had some of these conversations already just in this year, like, you know, how's such and such going? And, you know, it's very clear to be, to tell that they're not 
going all that well at this particular point just based on how they act. Um, so from that point of view, I think it's super valuable to get a bit of a baseline on everybody. Yeah, and I mean, the year that's that's been and you know being in being in lock up and um, and uh, in being isolated for so long, I, I get this feeling that everyone is just. Uh, can't wait for hockey to come back and for life to return to normal. But the way that we communicate with people, I think, will improve off the back of what's happened and um, that need to to look out for each other. So that was one thing that I definitely got out of, um, you know, the the camp was the, uh, you know, showing uh, a few people showing their vulnerability and, and getting to know people and things that have happened in their lives that, you know, might not have might not have known, but now a lot of people are aware of um, what's happening in people's lives, which is really good for that contact and that connection with everyone in the group. Well, yeah, I'm pretty big on the on the relationship stuff. So we just need to make sure that as a collective, you know, we understand each other and we, we don't always have to agree. I mean, that's one of the things that's probably starting to disappear out of, um, you know, sporting teams or out of, you know, corporate environments and so forth. You can disagree with someone, but it doesn't mean you dislike them. Um, you know, you can have a disagreement about something or, you know, whether it's a philosophical view on something or um, you don't have to all agree. I mean, like political party, a classic example, right? You, you don't have to see eye to eye on it, but you can still be friends. From what you saw from a hockey point of view at the start of the year, but also some, some thoughts that might have come into your head away from the hockey and, you know, listen to podcasts, whatever it's been during your own time. Is there anything that you can think of going into pre-season next year but also leading into the season that are that are areas that you know the group can can improve so improvement areas um but also as a club as well some good insights that you've come across that uh you know the club can take on and our group can take on uh moving into next year yeah i think the um you know i made it pretty clear to the playing group so anyone listening this isn't going to be a surprise but i think the the group is very nice like um and using that as a collective term to to say that it's not um traditionally dogged and hard and 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 sort of rough um and that's something that I think we actually started to get a little bit even internally with some of our our standards and expectations around training and some of the standards and expectations around how we play um is that you know we, we can't and that's you know whether it comes down to how you umpire in a training session. I mean, to be fair, we only got a couple of weeks of actual competitive stuff in really before we ended up getting yep. pushed back. But you know, I, I was really looking forward to watching that group um, evolve over the next sort of two or three months. A couple of really high quality practice matches. Um, you know, put together some good minutes of performance there. So I was looking really forward to all of that. Um, so. Where, where can we improve or how do we improve? Um, obviously, a new goalkeeper on board this year in Scotty Boucher, we're taking over from George, who's who's been a part of the furniture there for a long period of time. So, you know, there's going to be a, a, an adaption there where, you know, he needs to, to figure out how the people play in front of him and the people playing in front of him also need to figure out what's going on behind them. Um, so that's going to take a bit of work. And, you know, George is a very vocal goalkeeper and very demanding. So, you know, Scotty, not quite the same. Um, so there's going to be a learning period there. Um, but, yeah, we also need to be mindful. Maybe, maybe not as much of a abuse coming out of the net as well. Yeah, possibly, possibly. Um, so making sure that we've got a bit of, bit of clarity around what our sort of defensive aims are, um, which obviously gets to free us up and, and have a bit more of a go going forward. 
Yeah, nice. And we'll move off uh, this year and we'll uh, move into a bit of your, your playing days because, I mean, a lot of people know what you have done uh, during your playing career, but it's a bit of an insight to, to those that may not have an idea and because and, it is quite an extensive um, playing career. And so we'll just go through. From an early days point of view, you, you, started, uh, you started your juniors at Essendon, moved to Waverley, then back to Essendon again. You had a few premierships with, with Waverley when you were at a young age and, and had just started there in a very strong team back in the day. Uh, how did you get? How did you get started with with hockey? First of all, and um, talk us through the transition in clubs and and why those transitions happened at a, at an early age. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I started playing as a seven year old. Um, yeah, it wasn't minky at the time. It was yeah, just under under nines hockey and you know quarter pitch, grass. Um, you know, most clubs or. Um, in some instances, they weren't even at the venues of of hockey clubs. You know, they were sort of thrown out in the mid, like you know, at Hawthorne, for example, we used to play in the in the middle of that velodrome there, which is you know beside the the hockey pitch. Um, my dad played hockey. Um, you know, played for um, SA for part of the time in in Adelaide, and um, obviously they moved over here. They bought a business, started a family, and all that sort of stuff. So as a result, I got into it. Um, Probably like most kids whose parents play hockey, they spend enough time around it that, you know, it's a really family-focused sport. So I got into it, started to get reasonably good at it. Um, you know, like, like a lot of kids, when you start to get a bit of success in something, you, you, you like doing it a bit more. And so, yeah, I, I played at Essendon up until under-15s um, and I basically hadn't been getting the coaching previously um, that I was sort of seeking Um in an effort to try and play for Victoria. Um, you know, that was a, a goal and that was a stepping stone to obviously playing, you know, potentially for Australia down the track, which is, um, you know, as we've talked about before, a lot of young kids want to do, whether it's play for the Hockey Roos or the Cookboroughs. Um, so I moved to Waverley, um, actually went for a training session um, and Brett and Tim Thompson were my two um, coaches for that particular session and they were coaching the under 15s at the time. And I mean, a lot of the Campbell crew and everyone, um, a lot of people listening to this would know Brett and Tim reasonably well as, as really rough and tumble competitors, but also, you know, really talented hockey players and, and certainly appropriate trash talkers. Um, so they took me for my first session. I learned more in an hour um, with those two guys than I did, you know, over the previous two years. Um, yeah. At that particular time, the the tomahawk had basically essentially just been introduced into hockey and um i remember going home from a training session first night and sort of turning to the old man and saying um you know i want to play here um and for them you know they ran their own business um and a sort of industrial estate in airport west and um it meant basically it was going to be a 45 50 minute trip in either direction three times a week. So they were very supportive of that, to which I'm still thankful and, and continue to talk about to this day. But um, you yeah, moved to Waverley, had some really good success, had some good friends there um, as to why I went. Um, I mean, I trained at Kew before that, was really close with a couple of young guys from there, had a session at Hawthorne and then obviously finished up with Waverley and, and made the decision pretty quickly to, to move clubs. Um, yeah, at that particular point, the state under-18 coach was was involved in the club and, you know, had that that sort of really precarious meeting that right now we sort of try to steer all of our coaches away from in, you know, 
in terms of recruiting players to your club. Um, so, yeah, moved clubs, had a great time. Um, as you said, we were very successful. Um, lost, unfortunately, the first two grand finals ever played in to Essendon, um, which I still hear about, um, and then proceeded to win two um, and then left in my top age under 21s to go back to Essendon. Um, Al McLennan and David Langeren, who are really good friends of mine, had spent, um, yeah, probably a two or so years before that trying to get me back to come and play at the club. And um, it just got to a stage where um, I had a meeting with the club coach at the time um, and I wasn't looking for any promises or guarantees, but just wanted to know what the plan was and structurally and position-wise for the next year was new coach coming in. And, um, you know, I didn't think that I was going to get what I needed um, at that particular point. I had a really good cohort of players, um, I would argue, I mean, it's a, it's, it, it was a really strong, passionate group, but it was really selfish. Um, you know, there was some really talented guys in that group, but, um, you know, it, it was a real selfish group. And one of the things that I think to this day is still that, you know, that the, the club wrestles with as well is, you know, that individual versus team performance, um, Whereas I think, you know, going back to Essendon was really tough. I think it immediately put me in a position, you know, Waverley won the grand final that year. Um, so the year I left. Um, and then the following year, so that made it three in a row, I think, from memory. Um, and went back to Essendon, got relegated twice, played played two seasons of State League 2 at the time, Um don't think, I'm pretty confident we didn't make a final series over that journey. Um, enjoyed my hockey, played with some friends, um, took on coaching roles. Um, you know, obviously, you know, played in, in and out of the the Vikings group over that period of time as well. Um, yeah, so it was that was it was a long period, long journey. But um, yeah, my only hockey regret is probably not moving back to Essendon a little bit sooner. And I guess post. Post, um, like during your, your whole career, you, you've obviously played, um, you know, and been represented, represented the state uh, throughout your juniors, under 18s, under 21s. Um, I believe you were part of the Junior World Cup squad. Um, obviously, the Vikings uh, AHL group for many, many years. I think you went and played for NTSA. Is that correct? Yeah, both, yeah, both yeah. of those. So um, we had a. We had like Matt Higgins, who's just like, uh, for those of you who don't know, he goes just a ripping guy and and an excellent hockey player and worker and um yeah he was he was just a stalwart in that group and then it was Luke Dorner, Chris Sorello, um and then myself and I just wasn't going to play as a defender and um or not play often or much and and certainly as you mentioned there being in and around that Junior World Cup um, program. In 2005, um, it was it obviously needed to play um, at that level to to continually press for selection. And um, at that point, Jason Butcher was involved in that Junior World Cup lead up, um, and he was the coach of uh, Northern Territory at the time. And so Ian Rowe and myself um, had a conversation about playing there and we took off and, and played for Northern Territory, um, which was a t- like, I mean, I know Frosty and Mitz have played in our group, have played for different states. It's a terrific experience and one that if people are you know, on the edge and not playing, I do recommend because there's no easy games when you play for, 
for one of those you know smaller franchises or states. You know, Victoria against Northern Territory can be an arm wrestle for a period of time, but you know eventually the dam breaks. And when you're playing for Northern Territory, you're on the ropes time and time again. Um, but that particular year, we had a lot of good players. I mean, Alistair Park, who who captained the um, Thunder Sticks and coached the Thunder Sticks this year, um, or last um, Hockey One, he played that particular point. Um, yeah, we had a, we had a really good group of of imports, if you like, come in and play. Um, Michael Brennan came and played with me. We talked him into coming and playing. Um, which was good. Um, really, really good fun hanging around with him for a period of time, and um, it was a, it was a really good experience. And I mean, I don't, I'm disappointed at at different parts of how things went and so forth. And um, but I just I, I look back on playing really fondly with the relationships that um, that were gained. You know, we as as you know, you you win something like a national championships, and that's a bond you've got with a group of people that you can't break right. forever. And yeah, you know, we won a we won under twenty ones together, and um, as a as a playing group, and that was you know we still see each other and tell stories about uh, about that particular from, night. Oh, from a team sport perspective, you just you just come through those eras where you know certain teams just in certain spots are just going to be. Filled with um, either national representatives um, or yeah. you know high quality Victorian players or state players that have been there for a long period in time, and you just um, you've got to take your opportunity when you get it more more than anything. So, well, that's the thing. I mean, I'm not I'm I'm certainly not sitting back looking at my hockey career and and saying that you know I was better than because all of those players that we we're talking about at those particular points were all better than I was. Like it wasn't. A- <laughs> It wasn't a case of um, of me being better than them at those periods of time. They were better, um, and that's one of the things that I really like to to reinforce with the players coming through now in my role at Hockey Vic is that sometimes selection has to happen at some point, yep. and there has to be a cutoff, and you don't have to agree. Um, you know, there there were there were times when I was going up against some of those names that we we're talking about where I was playing better. But I wasn't a better hockey player collectively. Um, I wasn't as fit as I wasn't as um, prepared. At, like you know, from those things. I mean, that, they're things that I look back at and and wish you could have your time again in some of that stuff. Like I, I don't think I got the best out of my body in that time um, in terms of pre- preparation. But yeah, from those sorts of things, there's um, there's there's not a lot of regrets. It's just about it's just about making sure that you do the best, and that's what we sort of continue to try and tell these kids coming through, mate. Is it? You only get one go at it, so make the most of it. Correct. I, I know it's something that you you speak very openly about. Um, I've heard you speak about it before. When um, I know that at a young age, you were obviously nationally identified. You know, around we just spoke about before Junior World Cup age, but it doesn't. It didn't transition into that um, senior uh, national representation. And I've heard you yep. speak very openly about this before. When you when there are people who have that talent and have the opportunity to to grab it and and go over to Perth and have a crack, but they don't, um, you know, it becomes quite frustrating at times. I mean, uh, what's the overall message from you in terms of the experience um, here and what you went through with the hurdles and difficulties to um, to take that next step? Uh, it's a really good point. I mean, um, I've done a series of um, podcasts for our Hockey Vic crew with the the national players and, and coaches and so forth over the last couple of weeks. And one of the questions I've asked them is like, what would you tell your 16-year-old self? Like, what would you change? And um, for me, 
it would it would be just about you have to enjoy training and you have to enjoy the grind. And if you don't, you're not going to get the the positive result or the sunshine and rainbows at the end because um, training is the is the part that um, now as a coach I love. Like you know, I mean, I love planning training sessions and you know x equaling y when we put time into a particular skill set and then seeing that thing develop over a period of time i mean i really enjoy that um and it's part of coaching teams and starting at a journey and then ending up with a positive result at the end but as a player yeah um josh simmons was was really excellent last week when i spoke with him and he said about taking more ownership as the as the individual and player on your own development and it was really good to hear someone say that um, that's gone through like our program because I think at, I was looking for a bit more direction, um, you know, and, and still to this day, I think, you know, um, so John Mott was my VIS coach um, and coached me for under 21s, VIS, Vikings for a period of time. So I reckon for probably six to eight years, um, I had, you know, three to five sessions a week with John. Um, and I mean, I really like John and he provides a, a really crucial piece um, to hockey in Victoria's history over that period of time. But, um, you know, would it have been beneficial to have had a different voice or would it have been beneficial to, to have someone else give you the kick in the ass and it not be the same person? Um, possibly, I don't know. I mean, I can't tell you the answer to that, but certainly from my point of view, I'd, I, I can categorically say now with how I push our players to be that I didn't do everything that needed to be done. Um, so from that point of view, I mean, it's, um, you know, preparation, as we said before, whether it's physically, um, you know, in terms of being as fit as possible, as strong as possible. Um, I was always really lean. Um, you know, I wasn't, wasn't ever really strong until the latter part of playing. Um, you know, like a lot of people don't know, but like Chris Sorello and myself, like we were both involved in this three, three D drag flicking, um, study that was done that was was commissioned by the institute of sport obviously chris went on to uh flick three goals three goals in a world cup grand final and i didn't um but so uh yeah from that point of view i mean there's things about playing that you can look back on and reflect on now but at the time um you know i didn't think that i was not training hard i thought i was training hard i thought i was preparing and i thought i was doing all of those things but i wasn't and um, that, that's easy to reflect on as a you know thirty six year old man now, but um, yeah, that, it was a tough environment as well. I mean, there's you know we used to as you, like you remember, you know, I used to train at you know five forty five on a Friday morning. Like you know, it's, it's not a particularly enticing time to get out of bed and go down and train, but um, and and then go to uni or go to school and with your studies as well. Yeah, or work or whatever it was. Yeah, I mean that's that part, but that's. That's the. I mean, if you're a swimmer, that's just yep, every correct. day. Um, so yeah, so like that. Some of that stuff's changed, and some of that's evolved. And my, part of my coaching part and, and philosophy, if you like, and things is about making sure that I'm a bit more to more people. Like I'm not just this one stop shop of being you know one way, and everyone hops on board, and we're a bit cookie cutter. Um, that you know, I, I provide a bit more of a. Um, I'm a bit more rigid with someone who needs that. And then I might be a little bit more open with someone else who needs that. And as you've heard me say before, it's not going to be a one size fits all, but it's going to be fair. Um, you know, like making sure that we, it's not, 
a case of you know Jimmy Webster, who's played Premier League for 15 years, having to do everything exactly the same as the kid who's busting his chops to actually play his first game. Um, I think there's some runs on the board, some credibility there that that let lend to that. So, um, but yeah, nationally identified young players transitioning, it's very hard. I mean, I was at I won Player of the Tournament and under 15 nationals, and then you know obviously progressing from that point onwards was the captain under 18 Vic team, um, under 21s, um, captain as well, and then just couldn't step up another level from there. And and certainly now, I mean, I look at the game now and um, I have this conversation, Jay Stacey and I were reasonably close and um, we joke about now and I had a chat with Batchy last week about the game progressing physically and said, well, how do you reckon you'd go? Um, and obviously those two being the personalities, they go, yeah, I'd go right. <laughs> um, but like... I, I would I would physically have to have adapted significantly to play the game at the level that I got to previously. Um, yeah, I, I I would have had to have been fitter and stronger and yep, faster. Yeah, and just the natural um, adaptions of the game and the way that it's it's moved over many many yep. years. But I mean, also the other point on that is that for many many years Victoria finished third, fourth. Um, Constantly for yeah, years yeah. and years, and you know it wasn't really from my memory until probably won that first or got into a final and then won a gold medal when a lot of Victorians started to get noticed, and that's just the way that's been for years. That you you make that final, you get noticed, you get more players in into the squad. So I mean, coming through those years where you were part of the Victorian side, it was it probably didn't help either. Um, you know, finishing that third and fourth for years and years. Well, finishing third and fourth, and um, and not playing certainly wouldn't have helped. Um, we had this conversation. I mean, this is, it's 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 frank, and it's um, it's it might not be politically correct at times, but you know, if you're if you're the best kid growing up in Tasmania or South Australia or ACT, you might get more of a look in than you know the fifth best player in Victoria, um, and that's not. That's just the nature of, of sport the way that it is and how it's funded across the country and so forth. And it's it's very good to have people um, from a variety of different environments. And it's very hard to, to compare apples and apples if they're not put into that environment. So it's very hard to compare the best kid from South Australia with the rest of the country if you don't put them in. Um, so yeah, from that point of view, you know, growing up in Victoria had huge benefits from a performance perspective, but might not have helped from a selection perspective. And that's still to this day, something that, you know, some of our players have to wrestle with is like, you know, do I, do I play as the sixth, seventh best player in Victoria or can I go be in the top couple in another state? Um, and yeah, as you said before, the, the number of players selected versus finishing position, they just don't, they and in my time as the, as the high performance manager and so forth, they just don't even correlate. Like it's, um, yeah. If if you were to put on, you know, New South Wales might have seven and finish in the top two, and um, ACT might have four and finish fifth. Um, yeah, the numbers don't add up. But um, yeah, I hundred percent believe that the best talent should Correct. be selected, um, irrespective of where um, they're from. Yeah. Throughout your career, you you found yourself playing in multiple different roles, <laughs> multiple different positions. I think you started your, your playing career as a, as a striker and then actually made your, your way back, came into the midfield, then finished, obviously, as we've talked about already, as a defender. 
um, which which naturally happens with quite a few people that you you find yourself when you are younger, uh, you do start um, maybe forward and you end your career playing as a, a little bit more defensive. But can you recall these movements and and uh, I guess why they occurred uh, through your career? Yeah, I mean, uh, there's a couple of them that are. Um are really pivotal points and I remember them so well is that um, I remember being at a um, Junior World Cup camp in Adelaide and it was like a thousand degrees in February it was unbelievable um, and there were two a day sessions so we trained in the morning and then trained in the afternoon um, we were staying just off at Glenelg and I was playing as a defender and had played for Victoria as a, as a defender and free defender for a period of time in the under 21 group and um go to the camp and and as mentioned before I was I was probably as fit as I had been leading into that in terms of preparation and so forth and um I'd always struggled with um on in really hot weather with cramp um you know I'd always end up with a um, like and it was odd it was a quad cramp as well it wasn't any like so you know it was reasonably reasonably fierce and um so I actually managed to deal with that weather reasonably well and got prepared and did everything that I could to be ready for this particular camp. And there was a lot of guys went down over the the three or four days and played some matches. And um, I think I think it might have even been Des Abbott at the time had you know cramped up and Batchy turned to the side and sort of said, you know, I need someone to go in. And and I was sitting on the bench of my rotation, which wasn't quite as prolific as it is now. Like if you came off, you'd usually come off and have, you know, a five or six minute rest until the coach told you to go back on. Um, it wasn't really a case of, you know, in two minutes you're going back on for somebody else and it was sort of predetermined. Um, so back to your turn and said, oh, you know, you you, you, you can go in, Ando. And, and I said, yeah, sure, where? And he goes, oh, right wing. Um and so I hopped on at right wing and run on at the half line and ball came to me at exactly that same period of time and I took off, beat a couple of guys and um, passed it to the back post for a for a tip in or for a, for a um, goal and and from that moment onwards, like I was yeah as, as far as the national um, junior program were concerned, I was a striker. Um, you know, I then um, I then had to play. We played in Melbourne in the under twenty ones the year after. Um, I played as a centre forward. Um, I think I hit four or five goals in the tournament. Nowhere near enough to be, um, you know, outright selected based purely on output. Um, and then played, moved, uh, negotiated my way back basically the next year in Perth in my top age with John um, to play in the midfield group um, because I just wasn't. It, it was like a bit of robbing Peter to pay Paul type scenario. I could play up front, but we we weren't able to produce what we needed to do and as a result you know went back and played at the played in the midfield and free defender and so forth and didn't get picked um but you know from still around that squad got in had a couple of little niggly injuries with an ankle um that took a long time to rehab but yeah from that point of view as i mean declan garrity who obviously you guys know real well good friend of mine i remember walking back to the uh car from um the hockey center one night and he sort of turned, we're talking about positions and so forth. And he said to me, he goes, Ando, you're like a homeless guy. He goes, I don't know where to send your mail. <laughs> and he was referring, he was referring to like, where do I play? Where's yep. my best yep. position? And, um, and certainly as I got, as I got older, I would say that was definitely playing, you know, at the back and reading play and fixing things up and so forth. But, um, you know, like 
it was always a bit of a joke at Essendon that yeah, if we needed a goal, I'd I'd push <laughs> forward. Um, so, um, and then I actually I, I negotiated with the coach when I um, when I came back as I said before and played in those sort of six or seven games a year for the last couple of years that I was only playing if I played up front. <laughs> very very good. A um, we, we will jump into your your coaching coaching career, which obviously took off um, post playing career, and yeah, you know, you've had a lot of success. So far as a as a coach and assistant coach and yeah, under twenty ones uh, coach, I believe three titles. Was it three in a row as well? Under twenty ones. Um, that's a good question. I probably should know that off the top of my head, but no, I think we went yeah, back to and back, that, um, and then lost. Yep. Um, lost one that we shouldn't have lost, and then um, we won an under eighteens with um, so in that group from from Campbell, Jacko was in that. Um, I can't remember who else was in it, um, but yeah, we had a really we had a really good group of kids coming through from that under eighteen cohort through. So, uh, coached that under eighteen win with Marty yep. um, Demand, um, and and your boy Daisy was yep. the team manager. Um, and then um, moved up to the under-21s with Jay uh, as his assistant for at least one, maybe two years. Um, and then, obviously, with all of the Viking staff, it sort of made sense that there would be a gap between him coaching players between 21 and AHL. Um, so I took over. Jay assisted, um, and um, Greg Reed was our um, sort of like coaching mentor slash chairman of selectors. Being involved with the AHL and the Vikings uh, group for as an assistant coach for many years, where the group went back to back, you're now the current Hockey One uh, head coach. Uh, been involved with the women's program at the Footscray Footscray Hockey Club for multiple years. Um, when you when you look back at the, I guess what you've been involved in so far uh, from what I've just mentioned, is there anything that stands out stands out to you and? Um, and what what have you got the most out of your early? I would say your early days in in coaching. It's a good question because I mean the the thing that stands out really is um is the that sort of AHL win um you know it was our first win in eighteen years and um, having been a part of that team as a player um you know albeit at times on the periphery um we had some we had some really good teams. Um, over the journey there, and you know, some of those teams would have beaten the team that that we won with, um, you know, in terms of the players and the list and so forth. But um, you know, things aligned really well that year. Um, you know, we had a really strong year with the twenty ones. Um, the that cohort was really good. It got along well. It was a real cohesive unit. And um, as you know, as a player, like there's a group of players that have been involved in that team or that group. Um, you know, for sort of you know, ten years. Like by the time they sort of progress out as a as a under twenty one player and you know dip their toe in the AHL water, now being hockey one, you know they're around till they're you know late twenties, early thirties, and um, so it's a really a really strong social group as well. And um, you know, like Russell Ford has been a, an integral component of that group for the last couple of years. Um, you know moving backwards through his playing career from being an ex-Kookaburra to, to being an on-field mentor and leader and so forth. And, um, 
you know, he's got a real just go and do it type attitude versus, you know, he's not a really explicit out there open leader at times, but, you know, people fall behind him because he's got the that sort of level of respect. So that was really important. I mean, winning the other 21s in my first year as the head coach um, was, a, was a really good experience. I mean, my, my dad flew up and... Um, had some time off work and he flew up for the for the final and um, so it was pretty cool to share that with him um, you know to, to catch up with him after the game and um, it was funny we we got beaten in the 21s final the year before um, and I ran into John Mowat in in Sydney who we mentioned before had coached me for a long period of time and and he turned and said um, he goes oh as he does ando 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 <laughs> like <laughs> um, he goes, you're. Uh, he goes, you haven't coached until you've won a final and you've been flogged in a final, and uh, and so I said, thanks for that, John. Appreciate it. Um, and uh, and you know, his sort of candid humour, and um, you know, it was a really good time to 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 be involved. And it's coaching's a difficult caper, and um, you know, I heard someone the other day say that you know, success has many parents, but failure is an orphan. Um, is that, you know, that's sort of really how coaching feels at times is that, you know, when things are going well, um, a lot of people on the sideline want to come up and have a chat and have, you know, talk about players and so forth. But um, I feel and have tried over the journey to make sure that my relationships with the players um, are well and truly above all else inside the club. I mean, I will, I will fight and scrap and scrap claw to get what we need for our playing group um, versus being a, um, a, a a person from the club who's just speaking on behalf of the club. Like, I mean, I, I feel although I'm employed by the club, the playing group is where my allegiance is. And um, and certainly that was something that got tested at times at Footscray, um, you know, with certainly from a, a, a resourcing and board perspective, but also had to draw a line at times about some, you know, expectations and requests. So, from from that point of view, those two things were really good. Getting that Footscray um, women's team into the grand final was um, was a really fun experience. Like you know, taking over a group of girls who were sixteen, seventeen, talented junior hockey players, and five years later, um, playing off on grand final day against a team of you know, ex hockey roos and vipers. National League quality players. Um, yeah, we got beaten, and we got beaten convincingly, and um, it was always going to be a tough day. Um, but you know, I was very proud of the team and the club and so forth for for the amount of time, effort, and resource that had gone into that. Um, in terms of where we got to from where we'd been, um, I think most clubs would take a five year plan to get you to a grand final if you were starting that far back. Um, you know, that's not an expectation that. that Campbell has, but um, and as a group that's that's quite strong for a longer period of time. But it was a it, they were really fond experiences. I mean, are there things that I would do differently with the benefit of hindsight? Absolutely. Um, you know, touching on the, the Footscray women's job was the first time I'd coached um, females outside of a, a school environment, having been a teacher for for twelve years, and um, it was the first time I'd actually coached a women's team or even a team of girls for that matter of females. And um, so, you know, there was, it was a reasonably steep learning curve um, in that first month or so. Um, I mean, you touched on it uh, earlier on, you know, it did take the, that Vikings group 
years and years to to first of all make a make a final, then win one. And I'll always remember that that feeling of um, when we knew that we'd won that that first gold medal. And and I, I always remember looking over to Glenn Simpson, and and he was in a state of absolute yeah. shock. But then also looking over to yourself, and uh, we also had Smitty, who was who was involved. And you two had been yeah. you know pivotal in that in that um, environment and group for years and years. And it, it was this. It was a really strange feeling um, to see the emotion on a lot of people's faces that had gone through hard times for years and years, but had wanted to be around that group for so long because they knew that success was um, was there and it was going to happen at some stage. And I, I will never forget that that moment um, uh, of seeing those guys that have been involved in the group for a, a long time. Um, I do want to come back to you just touched on it before about you know, obviously coaching. Uh, women's hockey and, and and being involved with that Footscray group group and I wanted to get a bit of um uh, an idea of how it's developed you as a coach from coaching the women's women's hockey but also um, the differences between women's and, and men's men's coaching and and how you go about it. Um, I mean, I, I suppose the, the the really politically correct answer is that there's no difference, but the reality is is it's not no difference in the actual coaching. There's some differences in expectations um, with a variety of different things. So, um, for example, like if if um, players internally in a team aren't getting along, um, you know, and you know, two young guys who we can call in together and go, all right, Webby, you and, you know, Foz, you guys need to have a chat and sort yourself out, right? Like that conversation might happen really quickly and frankly and openly and, and we move past that. Um, with a group of, in particular, at, this, at the starting phase of that group, the young um, women that I was dealing with, like some of those conversations evolved over longer periods of time because sometimes the um, the issue or the niggle wasn't so glaringly obvious until like a breakout or a bursting moment. Um, so it might've been simmering away for a fortnight before there was something that happened. And then we had another two weeks or so of dealing with it. So some of them could have got out to a little bit longer in terms of how the, from the, from the, from the onset of the issue to, to solving of issue was probably a little bit longer. Um, the other that's not a negative by any stretch it's just a case of it was just different um and it was different to what i was used to and we spent a lot of time early days on um trying to open up that communication channel and you know they'd had a coach before me who wasn't really open to them talking about stuff but also we're still talking about juniors really like the majority of that team were were under 18 um we set a plan in place pretty quickly where if if you're playing senior women's hockey at Footscray, um, that you needed to communicate all of your, you know, training misses or whatever it was directly as the athlete. So I didn't want to hear from mum or dad. Um, it wasn't a junior team. You're playing senior women hockey, and um, and that took a, a little bit of time to establish. But you know, I didn't want the mouthpiece of that particular athlete to be mum or dad. And I wanted them to take greater ownership of all of those decisions. And um, and again, as I said, that took a bit more time. And, you know, it, it's just a case of dealing with younger players. That's still the same now. Like, you know, when, when the young guys don't send me a text until 15 minutes before a training session, but they've had all day and they've been on their phone almost the entirety of it. Like, um, that's still, that still happens. Um, but it's made me a more um, understanding and empathetic 
coach. I mean, I mean, I, I had some really good coaches, had some really good um, across the journey, had some really good communicators. I had some pretty poor communicators, um, had some really good tacticians, um, some really good technical advisors and things across the journey. Um, but, you know, one, one for me, I mean, Jay's been integral in my development as a, as a coach as well. Um, you know, Greg Reed and Jay are, are certainly two of my mentors that I talk to regularly about a bunch of different things. And, um, you know, one, one that sort of most people wouldn't know or doesn't sit highly in a lot of people's view, but like Rob Whitehouse coached me at, at Waverley for a period of time. And unfortunately, not for not for long enough due to some of his own personal stuff and work related um, things, but you know he, he was like he was a really good balance between being a hard guy and being really empathetic and understanding, um, and yeah, and terribly highly respected because you know he was just like a real real good hockey player as well. So um, yeah, he 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 dealt with that really well in my view. So um, you know, if c- coaching women, it's. It's easy just to say there's no difference, but the reality is there's some differences and it's probably not as easy just to articulate two or three, but um, yeah, it's not any different than coaching juniors to seniors or whatever it is. I just, you treat everybody as they come, um, whether they're male, female, whatever. And the the end result is that you're looking after the individual and knowing more about them, um, which was really important. I mean, you know, one one of the young girls that, that I coached was has just um, you know she was out one of our top goal scorers for the last couple of years but you know complete role player like a, a really good kid um, you know played on the wing super quick um, and would always be on the post tip in goal like I just and you know she just had her her first baby the other week so you know I flicked her a text and um, you know their relationships that I've got forever and and I really do appreciate all of that time. Um, yeah, they grew with me and I grew with them. Um, you know, it was, it was really important. Obviously last year, uh, first, first year of the, the hockey one, um, tournament and competition as it, as it got started and you obviously took over as the, the head coach of, of that group. And I mean, from my personal point of view, from watching it, I, I got a lot out of it and it was great to be able to, uh, you know, tune in and, and watch that, watch every game. But, uh, from that first season of, of Hockey One, are there any improvements or changes that you think need to be made moving forward or that will be implemented um, that you might already know? Um, well, well there's a, there, there was a real issue immediately that was, that was purely funding related from all of the, all of the teams was the number of players. Um, yeah, so we got down to 14 players listed and that basically meant that you had one spare player on each line. So you had a defender, a midfielder and a, and a striker, um, which for a lot of people listening to this go, yeah, what's your problem? Um, but at the speed and intensity of which that game is played, um, you're only one knock or niggle or, you know, little injury and... And they can be innocuous. They can be, you know, a bang on the hand, and and that person's off the pitch for five or six minutes. That means that the three or four people that are playing that line um, don't get a rest. Um, and you know, with the with the duration and intensity of the game being what it is now, that's too long. I mean, there's, um, you know, the 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 high speed meters and everything that people are covering now is, as I said to you before earlier in the conversation, it's just, it's staggering. I mean, it's a really, it's an athletic game now. Um, and so from that point of view, that needed to be addressed. And I think we've pushed it to 15. I mean, there was, 
there were other issues. Like, you know, you'd fly to Perth to play one game. Um, and if someone happened to get injured in a training run or a captain's call or whatever it was trouble. during that period of time, you're stuck on the other, you're stuck on the other side of the country. Um, and you need to get another player to you, which happened to our women's team. Um, you know, we needed to get a player to them real quick. Um, so that, that, that part needed to be fixed. Um, I'm not sure the, the result of wanting more goals actually was achieved. Like, I think that was, um, you know, I, I talk with, with Wanzi regularly about adaption of rules and stuff. And, you know, if we want more goals, you know, we need less people in that space. Like, you know, you need to go nine on nine or, um, what, what I really would have liked for those, um, was that captain's call or coach's call nine on nine periods rather than them being just at the end of a half or end of the match or you someone might get sent off and and you go well hang on a second captain's call we're gonna we're gonna play play nine now and you're playing nine v eight um you know some of that sort of stuff so look there's hockey's a game that definitely needs to evolve if we want to stay relevant um you know i had a conversation in my interview with batty the other day and said you know if offside was still in hockey what do you think would happen? And um, in my view, it would create smarter players. Like people, you know, and you've been a part of those conversations before where a John Mould will talk about, you know, Colin Batch and Jim Irvine and so forth being really smart players, but that was also forced based on the way that the game was being played. So, um, you know, now where we can play in the entirety of the pitch all of the time, any period of time, um, yeah, it's probably forced people to, to look back at the ball a lot rather than look forward in the space. Um, and as a result, I think that's something that could, you know, potentially be looked at. But yeah, we need more goals. I mean, you know, I watch a lot of golf, and people don't want to see our professional golfers hit scores of plus four, five, and Correct. six. They want to see birdies. Yep. Um, yeah, that's the, the nature of the environment we live in. So you want to see, you want to see people do well, and you want to see the best players um, do well. And whether it's competition or event, like we, I think we'd always want to be setting up the the event to be exposing or putting forth the best spectacle and giving the best teams and best players the most opportunity to be successful. And that's not about getting to a quarterfinal to a team that's won not a single game for, for the for the tournament and then them scratching their way through with a shootout win going into a semifinal. Like that's not the best for hockey. I think definitely from looking from the outside and and watching majority of the games that were were on um, were on TV for for a first season, it definitely looked like it had been put together quite well and um, was professional and um, and also I think there's yeah obviously there's those little tweaks and improvements as you, you might have talked about, but for a first season of putting it together, I think it, it um, all came together quite well. So well, I think we just need I mean hockey Victorian hockey patrons are really. Um, apathetic to actually attending. They all, we, we all like to be involved and know that it's on, but we need people to come to the get to the games and watch. Like, um, I mean, the State Nipple Hockey Centre is you know a reasonably soulless environment. Like, yeah, you know, there's not you know there's not a lot of history there. You go back to the old hockey centre, yeah, you know, with the hill and all that sort of stuff. You know, there's a, a lot of a lot of history and memories, and it's a, a bit more of your sort of generic stadium now. 
Um, but, you know, we we need more people in that venue. I mean, 500 people in the State Netball Hockey Centre yep. doesn't look busy. But if you stuck 500 people at Matlock or 500 people at Doncaster Hockey Club or whatever it is, the place looks like it's got plenty in there. Um, so, yeah, we, we, we need more people to come down. Um, first year, I think we did really well. Um, there was a lot of a lot of off-field like operational details that just based on my role that I sort of had to cover off and now it was a really interesting experience and and launching a new team into that type competition was um was some really good professional development um but yeah you, you said before it's really going to be crucial to to getting more players coming through that grade you know we need to have more numbers i mean one extra player doesn't sound like a lot but that's one every week like or you know um which means you know you might be giving seven different players exposure to playing at that level um and you know across the country that's that adds up real quick um we'll move into the the last segment which is uh I've, I've named it trap bang or quick hands or quick answers whichever way whichever way you want to uh, take it but so these are going to be quick, quick responses from you. So the first question, uh, will Essendon Football Club play finals in 2021? Not likely. <laughs> which, which young Victorian male player is most likely to play for Australia next? Uh, next one. Without putting any pressure, pressure on them, of course. Yeah, yeah, without putting any pressure on him, um, I think Craig Murray is probably you know one of our one of Great our choice. better shining lights in that next group. Um, yeah, he's he's a ripping kid, you know, got a got a real good uh, goal shot on him, so he knows knows where the goals are. But he's also like a really tough competitor. I mean, I think he um, he treads the balance there real well. Uh, exactly the same question, but young uh, women coming through. Um, We've got a lot of good ones. Um, I mean, Amy Amy stepped up and, and did real well into her um, opportunity earlier in the year. Her younger sister, Josie, is is really good. Will she be the next one? Um, hopefully not because she's a little bit younger. Um, but then the one in between there, I mean, there's there's a couple of girls and I said I probably don't want to put too much pressure on them. But Josie's someone who um, has, has enough of an opportunity to, to step up into that environment. Um, yeah, Carly James, who I coached for a long period of time at, at Footscray, a really tough, hard competitor, and yeah, I think it would be um, it would be extremely beneficial to have a Carly James playing for for the Hockey Roos um, at some point in the near future. Um, yeah, and then obviously she's very like a very similar player to Sophie Taylor, for example, like just hard, you know, um, good deliverer of the ball, um, yeah, and uh, and someone that you'd rather have on your team than not. Um, in the men's Premier League uh, next year, who do you think will make the biggest movement and uh, in terms of improvements in the, in the competition? Well, it's a really tricky question because um, you just don't know what the hell's gone on this year. Um, I think there were some teams that, that improved rapidly last year. Um, like, I mean, Footscray men making the, the grand final was a, was a big improvement um, from, from that point of view. MCC men... You know, managed to sort of fight it out and hang around a lot longer than they probably traditionally have. Um, yeah, then there's a reasonably strong cohort of you know Southern, Camberwell, Waverley, um, who have been around that period. But you know, there's eight bloody yep. teams in the Very finals true. now, mate. So um, you know, one of the uh, one of the Essendon guys 
sent a, a text out that that was the first time that Essendon had made the finals in I think it was twelve or fifteen years or something like that, and and I sort of cheekily wrote back said, but yeah, when it was I said when it was um, only ten teams in the comp, you were third bottom at eighth. Like <laughs> now you're in the finals. <laughs> well. Well, well, funny enough, I think they are a team. I think Essendon are a team that uh, I know that you obviously got history with them, but they are a, a young team and a team that I think will make uh, moves in the next next couple of years. Yeah, I mean, Oscar Wookie taking over as a playing coach. Oscar's really like a really good, really dedicated kid, um, you know, whether it's with his own academia or whether it's through hockey and so forth. And, um, you know, he's got a very strong, like, more is better mentality as well. So, like, you know, train more is going to equal, equal as being better and, um, yeah, they've got some good kids coming through. Um, yeah, how long? I mean, they've lost a couple of really experienced players as well, and yeah, there's going to be a bit of a void there. But whether it's 2021, it might be 2022 or 2023, but it's going to happen. Um, yeah, they're going to they're going to creep up. Now, now this next question, Otto, it's a bit of a controversial question, and I don't want you to go on for don't want you to go Jeez, on for good too start. long here, but. Uh, <laughs> who, who do you think is a better goalkeeper during their prime, George Baisley or Lachlan Dreyer? Oh man, um, <laughs> yeah, it's a really true. I mean, I, as a kid growing up, I saw a lot of Lockie as a as the national goalkeeper, and I, I saw a lot of George. And George and I are, are really close friends, so. Um, I probably have to say George, but Lockie's bloody. I mean, it's a. You can't argue yep. with either of their um, either of their careers. I mean, yep. being a goalkeeper is tough. Yeah, there's, not, there's only one of them on the pitch, and you know, and if you're not number one in that team for a period of time, um, there's a lot of watching a hockey. Um, and both of those guys have done a lot of that. Um, so yeah, I mean, in their prime, I don't, I, I don't, I don't think I can speak on behalf of 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 Locke all that well. Having um, yeah, I just I just remember getting cleaned up by Lockie a lot of times over the journey, meeting me at about twelve yards when I wasn't ready for him. Um, you know, dribbling into the top. But um I think I think George's competitive drive and everything like that has has helped um, you know, facilitate Campbell's success in this last sort of, you know, eight or nine years really well. Um but you can't discount the fact that having Lockie there as your second keeper or so forth doesn't provide such a strong opportunity for one guy to be more cavalier um because the opportunity is that someone else steps in um i know that i know that you're a big sports doco uh person uh favorite sports doco that you might have yeah. been watching this year or just over over time um yeah your favorite sports doco uh well got the, the the two most recent ones funnily enough have been really good so the last dance the michael jordan sort of chicago bulls one was really good um i find i find them um more engaging because there's just like there's there's so there's some tiny little details and things that are so pivotal to way decisions or things happen that um, from an outside looking in you just don't know. I mean, um, yeah, talking about how that team operated with with a um, a general manager who just didn't get along with any of the players, um, but managed to put together a, a pretty successful team. Um, and then the the current one that I've just finished watching, which I loved, um, was the um, All or Nothing Tottenham Hotspur. Um, and when when uh, Jose Mourinho had just taken over, um, again I think we share. I mean, I, I share a lot of similarities in terms of how I go about it. Like, yeah, you know, he seems to be way less technical and tactical than I actually thought I was going to see 
um, in terms of the the actual coaching and more about personnel management. Um, and when you think about what some of those guys are getting paid, um, it's astronomical. So, um, yeah, th- those two are really good. And for any young coach or anything coming through, um, yeah, that one's that sort of um, Tottenham Hotspur one at the moment's really good. Um, I I would encourage anyone to watch that. And then that same series, the the um, New Zealand All Blacks one again, equally amazing because you know just going through all of the all of the team standards and so forth and you know talk about a particular player for a period of time there and then how he's had to make adjustments to the environment so um yeah i I love them there's so many of them but um those three will do with in no more than three words please describe liam henderson (laughs) um hard um, haircut. I like that one. <laughs> I definitely like that one. Um, and very talented. Yep. Uh, yeah. I'll make this easy. If you one word to describe the old boy, Tom Davies. Uh, hard. Best player you have, you've ever played against. Uh, that's a really good one. Um, I think that the guy probably didn't get as much credit over his journey, but he's still an Olympic gold medalist and so forth. But I've always found Nathan Eglinton more difficult to play against um, than like a Jamie Dwyer, for example. I mean, Jamie's extremely talented, but um, Nathan would, would, would make the drag over sort of two or three meters and you would, it'd take you out of the contest really quickly. Um, But, you know, you're always confident that, that, Jamie, provided he didn't toast you for speed, was always going to come back through sort of, you know, either a foot either side of you. Um, and, you know, you just had to compete with his his stick speed. But, um, yeah, Eggy was very hard to play against. Um, and last question to finish off, mate. What are you looking forward to the most about coaching the, uh, the Campbell group uh, next year? Um, just getting back and seeing the guys again to start with. I mean, I can't wait till our first training session back. I mean, it's a... It's a long time, and I mentioned this to the group, it's a long time since I um, haven't been involved in a team competing in some level of elite sport for a long period. Like pretty much I think I go back to like 11, 12 years old, um, you know, where we've been in, on a tour, played a season, played in a tournament. Um, yeah, none of that this year. Um, so, yeah, I'm looking forward to getting back and seeing the group and um, and then seeing what we can do. I mean... I've got pretty high hopes for us and um, as do the group for us as well. But I think I'm looking forward to most is getting back and, and seeing everyone. You've been listening to the Camberwell Hockey Podcast. We'd like to send a big thank you to our hosting team, our guests, and you, the listener, for your support. If you enjoy the show, please give us a review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. This show is recorded and produced by Camberwell Hockey Club in Melbourne, Australia. If you have any feedback, comments or questions, please find us on Twitter at Camberwell underscore HC or see more information on our website, camberwell.hockey. See you next week.